Good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Hello. And Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello. Ladies, it's so good to have you here. Feels I, like we were, we've been here before. We have. Turns out it was yesterday. It was yesterday. It was. So what we're referring to, of course, is our monthly Patreon-exclusive streams. If you've yet to join us at patreon.com slash whatsgoodgames, this month we had some extra shenanigans on top of our <laughs> normal shenanigans because we had been promising to try some edible underwear. What a disappointment. And I <laughs> wow. I mean, I was going to say I ate one entirely. No, so that, that one was, was good. <laughs> The peach one was tasty. <laughs> that one, one was, was good. So we got tasty. the peach. So the, the mind boggling thing of all of this is we got edible underwear for him and for her. Yes. They were the exact same shape. Yes. Except that the, was the, that was the head scratcher. The one for the men's though, I think had been on the shelves for a little too long because right. it was like rock hard. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's, if you'd break your teeth and the other one was supposed to be chocolate, strawberry flavor or whatever. Oh God, that was horrible. I mean, yeah, it was like the film backing that comes on a fruit roll up. You know, you get the fruit roll up and not the actual film part. Yeah. But yeah, it was like the film part of the fruit roll up and they forgot to put the actual fruit roll up on it. It It was was, real bad. It was no bueno. And it turned you super red. Yeah. My whole mouth was red. It was great. And we were like, imagine putting this on your body and just having your like stained. Yeah, it's stained. Yep. Private. So if you want to venture into a new business, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, there is a wide market market there for edible undies. They're not doing it right. Oh, then we got the candy one too. The candy necklace one was pretty good because it's a a candy necklace. It's a thong. Yeah. And I tried it on. I don't know how much you'd really want that up your crack, but you know. I feel like, you know, if someone would really want to bite those off, they could bite something they didn't mean to. Like, you know, if you want to hear this entire discussion at length with visual aids. then of course, you must become a member at Patreon.com slash What's Good Games where you can watch the archive if you miss the live stream. We, of course, also played in our after hour stream. We somehow managed to finish Watam, even though we had to look up a walkthrough. And the fact that a walkthrough exists for that mindfuck of a game is crazy. It doesn't surprise me because I feel I worked at IGN and those poor bastards had to, we didn't use an IGN guide, but uh-huh. that is a job people have. That was the game. That was the game. Yeah. It, that's all. And that's all it we're going to say about it. Um, but again, if you guys want to check out those archives, uh, you must join our memberships at patreon.com slash what's good games. Speaking of which, we want to give a special thank you to our Patreon producers for the month of January. Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Farah Satay, Muhammad Muhammad, Marcus Brown, and Robert Adams. And Brittany, if you could assist me in reading the newcomer 
listeners to our Patreon community. Yes, why thank you, I'm still waiting, Gino Tro, Mostly Normal Gamers Podcast, Benny Toribio, Josh Mack, Kevin Bennett, Olesoyo, Mike, Derek <laughs> Hoffman, Andy Peck, Jason Grimm, Paige Canal, Parker and Adam, Michael Grieve, Mitchell Hall, Chicken Liquor, which is great and also kind of terrifying at the same time. Chicken Liquor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like liquor, the booze. Like the booze. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Let me, let's clarify. Thank you, yeah. Summer. Not like licking chickens. That's not what we're about. Aaron, Mike Montez, James, Phil S., Alexandra Charavel. Thank you for joining our Patreon, friends. Wonderful. And we have some new podcast reviewers. Thank you so much to, oh, God, Simmer. A kill? A kill for Pure Blue Octopus. <laughs> and then we got. We had to Google Translate this because it was, I think, in Arabic. Yeah. Abu okay. Hanan? That's what it translates to. It's Abu Hanan. We think. We think. Thank you for the nice review. All of you. We appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. Come it on. does, indeed. I also want to take this moment not to talk about Patreon, but to talk about Discord. So some of you may not realize that we actually have a pretty active Discord community at discord.gg slash what's good games. We've got a bunch of different channels there for whatever your gaming interests are, or if you just want to talk about what you've been watching or what you've been reading. Um, there's a lot of cool folks that are active on our Discord, and I want to give a special thank you to our mods who are doing a fantastic job. So we've got the Grizz91, we've got Gamer with the number four and we also have um a third kitty balls so thank you to all of you for helping us keep our discord in check and thank you to everybody who participates and has some fun meaningful conversations gamer did a contest to just do like a random game giveaway around the holidays and he had messaged me and told me that there was a couple of winners who so we wanted to give you guys a special shout out and congrats. The two winners were Rufin and Magnus. So uh, we just wanted to remi- remind you guys that we do have a Discord community that's pretty active. So if you're ever like in an LFG situation, you don't have someone to play in the game that you're looking for. We've got a bunch of active people who are always willing to jump into a game with you. So check it out. Ooh. Boom. All right. Moving on. I think it's probably time to get into the news, right? We're done with announcements? I think so. This news week was a little on the light side, but that's not a bad thing. So let's go ahead and get into it. And this week, the news is brought to you by Bespoke Post. This winter, start a new routine to upgrade your everyday life with a monthly box of awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post sends folks only the best stuff every month. So whether you're looking to commemorate an occasion or maybe you want a champagne saber or maybe you're going to toast a perfectly aged winter cocktail. Guess what? Box of Awesome has got you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware to cooking tools and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. So we were going to the website when we were checking out some of the new offerings because the box of awesome that I use the most is the one I got from my desk, which has this beautiful leather uh, kind of like a placemat thing where Mm -hmm. I put my laptop and I have this really cool uh, time turner. But they've now got boxes of awesome tailored specifically for women, which is super cool. And we found this one. What's the name of this box? Unplug. Yeah. So Simon saw this and she was like, oh my God. I mean, because it looks like a nice bath kit with a with an ion diffuser as well. 
Get the diffuser, some lavender oil. It just, it, I was like, relax. Yes, I like these things. A lavender bath bomb, some cashmere blend socks. My feet are always cold. <laughs> so like this one seems like it is a box right up my alley. And they have a cute little tag here. Jomo, which is the joy of missing out. So the antithesis of FOMO. Yes. Instead of having a fear of missing out, you're actually very excited that you're missing out. <laughs> you want to be alone and be at home. I have that a lot. It's great. <laughs> Jumbo's great. It's better than FOMO, I would say. Yes. And right here they have, in the midst of a culture that ignores exhaustion and tells us we can never miss out on anything, Jumbo is about reveling in the fact that you're taking a break from it all. Amen. Yeah, mm. I feel like that's a good vibe for 2020. Maybe take a step back from it all and give yourself a little treat with your own box of awesome. If you guys want to get started, all you have to do is to take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome just for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories for both men and women, and it's free to sign up. So you can also just skip a month or cancel any time. So if you're like, hey, I liked my first couple boxes, but you know what? I need to like save my funds this month. You can skip. Or if you're like, hey, I'm good. I got my couple of boxes of awesome and now I'm out. You can do that too. Each box only costs 45 bucks, but it has over $70 worth of gear inside. So if you guys want to get started and get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com, all you have to do is enter the code what's good at checkout. That's box of awesome, just like it sounds, dot com. And you got to use that code what's good for 20% off your first box. Embrace the Jomo in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brittany, the first story that you have listed here yeah. says, Holy delays, Batman. Yeah. So last week we talked about Final Fantasy VII and Marvel's Avengers being delayed. And then the day after, Cyberpunk was delayed. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, Iron, Iron Man, Man. VR, VR. And now Dying Light 2 is indefinitely delayed. Indefinitely? Indefinitely. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, like, that's a very dramatic word. But oh. yes, technically, yes. They, oh, they have not announced, like, when, we're go- when they're going to release. So we can start with Iron Man VR. So this was delayed to May 15th, originally supposed to release February 28th. And this delay was revealed via a tweet from Camouflage. And that is, I can't, I can't. That's the name of the developer. Yeah, I was going to try to zoom in. I can't. Okay, so the tweet was delivered on January 17th at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, it's like it was time. Okay. In order, I just want to kick the desk. It's a program tweet. In order to deliver on our vision and meet the high expectations of our amazing community, we've made the difficult decision to move Marvel's Iron Man VR to a May 15th, 2020 release. We truly appreciate your patience and understanding. You'll be hearing from us again soon. See, I, I flipped the two yeah. and the from in that sentence, and that's yeah. why I was confused for a minute. I was like, what? Those dates don't make any sense. Right. But yeah. Be- so there was that. And then we got, do you want to break these down one by one, ladies? Or yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So listen, like, I mean, the Iron Man delay, I think, is like the most, or the, excuse me, the like least impactful to most people. Because yeah. I think that... Obviously, there was a contingent of PSVR fan boys and girls that were very excited for this game to come out, but I don't think anyone's, like, sweating the fact that they're like, oh, we're pushing it back. Is like, getting something okay. Marvel's in May now, right? Yeah. Marvel's. Marvel. Yeah, and, I mean, the previews from this game have been really positive. I heard that they really nailed the flying aspect of it, which is supposed to be really cool, but, again, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. But then we got Cyberpunk 2077 delayed to September 17th, originally supposed to release April 16th. And this is a very, very yellow docu- 
yellow yeah, document here. Does anyone else want to read this? Yeah, Cyberpunk I got you. It says, so we have important news regarding Cyberpunk's 2077 release date. Cyberpunk 2077 won't make the April release window, and we're moving the launch date to September 17th, 2020. We are currently at a stage where the game is complete and playable, but there's still work to be done. Night City is massive, full of stories, content, and places to visit, but due to the sheer scale and complexity of it all, we need more time to finish playtesting, fixing, and polishing. We want Cyberpunk 2077 to be our crowning achievement for this game genera- or, excuse me, for this generation, and post Pony launch will give us the precious months we need to make the game perfect. Expect more regular updates on progress as we get closer to the release date. We're really looking forward to seeing you in Night City. Thank you for your ongoing support. So the latest on this is the rumor is that Mm. Cyberpunk 2077, and you're going to laugh at this, was delayed because it runs badly on PS4 and Xbox One. I mean, mean, of course, right? So Corey Barlog... Oh, I'm glad you brought... Do you have his thread? I have his thread up, yeah. So early today when... Well, not early today. I guess this was actually... Yeah, because the rumor broke today. So he... This is Wednesday. He tweeted this out. He said, Every game runs badly until you optimize for the hardware and the final push before gold. And he put a little heart emoji because he's Corey Barlog. And then he followed up later. He said, So I feel like I need to expand upon this because many may not have the most accurate picture of the game-making process. In truth, we often probably do not want to share this because for some reason we believe some people we believe people will jump to apocalyptic conclusions and get angry. And he followed up. I can't say I speak for the industry, so fellow devs chime in to disagree or correct if you feel your experience is different, but I feel this is this to be true for most games. All caps. Games are very ugly for a long time until they are not. Uncaps. Traditionally, that is right near the end. This is due to the absolutely fucking bananas level of complexity and moving pieces required to make really any game today. We are more often than not going on passion and belief that the vision of this buggy plus duct tape together thing is going to come together in the end. To me, there is nothing shameful or nefarious about the game <laughs> not running well in development. We all obviously want to release the smoothest, most bug-free experience humanly possible. Sometimes we mostly succeed, sometimes we don't. But it is never because we did not try heart emoji. Yes. I mean, I actually think, I mean, in a loose way, it is sort of like if you've ever watched people build a house and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're always like, how on earth will this look like anything other than absolute horseshit? And then it does. It's just like, it's like, oh my God, it all came together. I feel like that's kind of what he's trying to say is it will run poorly. It will probably be a little janky for a long time until you start optimizing for the platform that it's trying to run on, but they don't usually do that until the end because they're trying to f- content fill it first. Um, and it doesn't make any sense to optimize when you have, haven't put all of the content in it yet. Um, so this makes total sense to me. Anyways, but... Oops. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's important that people like Corey speak out who everyone kind of admires, right, for the masterpiece yeah. that he helped create with God of War. Right. To normalize this and, and normalize it in the sense that this is game... You're making a video game. It's not easy, right? And Steimer, I think, you know, has talked about this a lot on the show. Like, it's... A lot of moving parts, a lot of things can go wrong at the last minute. And so it's okay if things get delayed. Trying to make a story out of it because all of a sudden it doesn't run well on Xbox One or PS4. It's clickbait. It's clickbait, yeah. Yeah, It it was a... Quite frankly, I thought that that was a shitty article. And I'm Mm -hmm. disappointed that I got a lot of pickup because anybody who's worth their salt that has been covering video games for more than like 60 seconds knows that all games are a hot mess until they go through cert. And then even now in today's ecosystem... Most games require a day one patch because devs want to keep polishing and fixing as the game goes into ship. And it's frustrating to me and almost like 
eye roll worthy that somebody would make an article purely for clicks. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that, oh, the game looked bad on consoles. Like, of course it did. It's not done yet. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, even if you think of a game in January that's going to ship in April, that's still like three months of polish, maybe even two and a half months of polish if you're giving them a very generous like certification window. That's a lot of time for the devs to make fixes and changes. So, like, CD Projekt Red clearly knows that their fan base is going to be there whenever this game is going to ship. And it's a bummer that it's going to come all the way into September. But I think, like, the silver lining there is that it kind of gets out of this crowded window that was like spring 2020 yeah now everything's getting pushed back so it's not gonna be as yeah (laughs) well thankfully the last of us part two's push was only by but what four to five weeks so now they've been kind of like slowly like a cat like pushing something off oh with their little little taps and then finally we got dying light Two delayed indefinitely from spring, I got it was wrong. Two thousand two, actually. Oh boy, twenty twenty. Yeah, said so this the word no, they did not. No, no, oh, no, no, no. I was. Like, I'm trying Again, to read through like, this quickly. It's kind of a dramatic word. Okay, so Diane Light two tweeted this out to our dedicated community. It was a busy year for us as we continued working on our biggest project to date. We know you are awaiting the game eagerly, and we want to deliver exactly what we promised. We were initially aiming for a spring 2020 release of Dying Light 2, but unfortunately, we need more development time to fulfill our vision. We will have more details to share in the coming months, and we'll get back to you as soon as we have more information. We apologize for this unwelcome news. Our priority is to deliver an experience that lives up to our own high standards and to the expectations of you, our fans. Please stay tuned, and thank you to our fans around the world for your continued support, patience, and understanding. I mean, I think it's more responsible to, like, not if you don't know don't don't say, say something yeah yeah 100 percent agree i think it's troubling though that they don't have a target because that potentially means they're making a bigger change than they anticipated which could add substantial amounts of development time onto the timeline of a game that already i think is kind of up in the air whether it's going to be a commercial success or not. I mean, I was incredibly impressed by what we saw at E3 this year, so much so that it was one of my top games of E3 2019 in the sense that I was never really impressed by the original Dying Light. Mm -hmm. And I think what they're doing is incredibly ambitious. So I'm not surprised that they need more time, but I do think it's troubling that they haven't given themselves a timeline, or if they have, they're not communicating that with their audience. And so... On one hand, I w- I'm with you, Steimer, that, like, take your time. Don't give a date unless you're confident. And on the other hand, I'm like, oh, it kind of lets me not have as much confidence in the title as I had before. Of Like, what's going on on the inside? Does this mean they're doing a fundamental change with some core systems? Or does this just mean that they ran into, like, maybe some snags and they want to, instead of focusing on this generation release, they want to pivot and go, Let's focus on next-gen release and then make a port for current-gen. That could potentially be what we're looking at. And that's what a lot of people are thinking, too, is kind of the reason for a lot of these delays. Who knows? So this game was actually announced at E3 2018 during the Xbox press conference, and I was sitting next to you when it was revealed. And I was like, oh, my God! We knew it was coming. It came. And I thought it was interesting. That's what she she said. said. They were initially targeting a 2019 release. Right. There was like no way. I mean, I had a feeling there was no way. Now they're saying spring 2020. And nope, now I don't know when it's coming. And I think it's just worth noting that Square Enix is helping Dying Light 2 in North America with publishing. So that's another want, want. I do feel like I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure this is a smaller dev than Techland. Yeah. They're, They're relatively small, right? 
I don't know. I mean, not like small, like, small. No, they're not yeah. small, like, small, but, but yeah. They make good shit. I think yeah. they're like medium size. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. To me, I'm like, I'm not super worried about it. And I'm not worried about the fact that they don't have a date because I just think that that, again, it could just mean too many things and like speculating. You could just, you so could they have just about, be like, because it could be like a number of things. Yeah. And not all of them are bad. So she's like, all right, well, I guess we will wait to hear more from you whenever you have the time to announce it. So we're um, into Wikipedia. They have about 300 employees. Oh, wow. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. I have heard other people in the industry commenting on this saying, oh, all of these delays are happening because these people want to capitalize on next gen. I'm like, no, that's false. These devs have had the runway to know that next gen is happening when it's happening to say that these delays are happening specifically so they can capitalize on the launch of the new consoles is just in my mind, like ignorant. And if you can launch a better word, I just like they're, they're delaying because they're having trouble with development or they're having a philosophical difference of where they want to go creatively. Not because they're like, Hey, actually if we delay by like four months, then we can capitalize on PS5 and Xbox Series X. Like, no, that's not the way that that works at all. They can't just fundamentally change all of the game's infrastructure to make it optimized for the new console. And if they're going to do that, it's going to take way more than just a couple months of delay. This game dev is hard. And if you can release your game in spring right now, you're sitting pretty. You ain't got a lot of competition that you thought you were getting. Yeah, man. So Final Fantasy VII Remake can keep on track and not delay anymore. (laughs) The biggest dog in town. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. But I do feel bad for the Crystal Dynamics team who pushed Avengers from May into September. And now they're going head to head like Cyberpunk. Oh, whoops. They might push it again. (laughs) Or one of them might push again. Who knows? It's, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I really honestly don't <clears throat> pay too close attention to release dates at this point until yeah. it's like almost there. Yeah, I kind of wish that Cyberpunk and CD Projekt Red would have just said fall 2020 instead of naming a very specific date to be like, hey, give yourself a little bit of breathing room to like have some time if you need a couple of extra weeks or whatever to delay again without having to be committed to a date in September. Because thankfully, CD Projekt Red doesn't have the really rigorous corporate overlords and Mm -hmm. the fiscal year commitments that people underneath like EA or Square Enix or Activision usually are, you know, kind of slaves to. I think that that's what's great about what CD Projekt Red is doing is that they're kind of like, hey, we're going to develop games on our own terms. And so I was a little disappointed that they're like, oh, we're going to set a date. It's like, well, if you need time, take your time. Yeah. So... Unless you think I'm wrong. Do they have corporate overlords that I'm not aware of? Uh, I believe they are publicly traded in Poland. Oh. But I don't, they also, uh, I can't remember if that's, they definitely have something. I just, I don't remember what it is. It's not the same as, no, like an EA. Like an EA, yeah. I didn't realize that Poland had a very thriving stock market. (laughs) But then again, I don't know much about Poland. (laughs) So that apparently the food there is very I'm like trying to remember. I'm like, there was something, but I don't remember if that was that they're just there or what. Um, all right. So <sighs> delays are fine is I think the takeaway here. Take your time, make a game, make it good. Don't make it broken. We all know what happens when you release a big game and it's broken. So don't do that. All right. Moving on. Um, the next thing we have here is animated Mortal Kombat movie sets their cast with Joel McHale and Jennifer Carpenter. 
So this is from HollywoodReporter.com. A new group of combatants are assembling. Warner Brothers Animation is plotting an animated movie based on the fighting game Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. Community alum Joel McHale will be voicing Johnny Cage. That is very fitting. While Dexter's Jennifer Carpenter will voice star Sonya Blade in Scorpion's Revenge, which will debut in the first half of this year. Ooh, that seems so soon. Mm, that is soon. <laughs> Scorpion's Revenge is directed by Ethan Spalding of Batman Assault on Arkham and Justice League Throne of Atlantis fame from a script by Jeremy Adams from Supernatural and Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. Of course, it's based on the video game by Ed Boon and John Tobias. The voice cast also includes Jordan Rodriguez as Liu Kang, Patrick Seitz as Scorpion and Hanzo Hasashi. Um, and Steve Bloom is Sub-Zero, Art Butler as Shang Soon. Darren DePaul as Quan Chi, Robin Atkin Downs as Kano, David B. Mitchell as Raiden, Ike Amadi as Jax Briggs, and we've, who else? I'm we glad you're reading the story because I feel like if I read it, it would have been like you reading Pokemon. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Kevin Michael Richardson as Goro, Gray Griffin as Katana and Satoshi. Uh, I don't even know who Satoshi Hasashi is. Who is that character? Apparently related to Hanzo. Satoshi. Um, and then Fred uh, uh, Tatashore as Demon Torturer. Wait, what is... Wait, Fred Tatashore is amazing. What What the fuck is Demon Torturer? Apparently in character. Okay. Well, anyway, Fred, you're great. Um, Rick Morales... Wait, Rick Morales is a co-producer? Okay, that's cool. Uh, the executive producer is Sam Register. NetherRealm's Ed Boon, of course, is the creative consultant. And we've got a logo... That's it. Spoilers. It's got a lot of fire on it. It's just the Mortal Kombat logo with, with some fire. With fire. Are you so excited right now that your panties are twisted in a tight bundle? No. All right. Oh. I would be more excited if this was details about a Mortal Kombat live action film, which supposedly was in development. I honestly, like, to me, don't care about animation. If this was in the style of of gameplay if this was in engine animation different story okay. i'd be in mm -hmm. if they were like we made an animated series in engine i would be like fuck yeah let's go because that's crazy because i'm the exact opposite I really think, yeah i'm stoked about this next story okay well let's yeah, just know i'm not i'm not going there yet we'll put a pin in it and then you can read the next story but like here's my thing mortal kombat is known for its gruesome animation and to me, if you're going to dumb that down by making it look like a cartoon, then I'm not in. It's not for me. And that's okay. Doesn't mean it's going to be bad. There's some, it's like, pretty the original gnarly. stuff. Like, the original Mortal Kombat, like, yeah, was quote-unquote gruesome, but also those pixels were not. Well, that's because it was old, though. I know, but I'm saying, like, that's the same, like, that's what I think of when I think of animation. I'm like, it'll probably be around that. It'll be, like, original Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I'm more excited for the live action, like I mentioned. So I did find that New Line is currently making the live action, which is due for 2021. So is that going to be a movie or a series? Movie. Live action movie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's cool. If you're excited, awesome. Moving on. Steimer, you got this next one. Yeah. Something I like. Two things I like. Joining <laughs> forces. Witcher anime movie Nightmare of the Wolf announced by Netflix. Netflix has announced that a new anime film called The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf is in the works. The team behind this new movie includes Netflix's, Netflix's The Witcher's producers Lauren Hisrich and Bo DeMaio, maybe? Mm. And Studio Mur, the renowned Korean animation studio behind The Legend of Korra and Voltron Legendary Defender. 
The logline for The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf is, quote, the world of The Witcher expands in this anime film that explores a new threat facing the continent. I do love that The Witcher's world is just called the continent. It cracks me up. <laughs> um, no cast point. details were given, but it's pretty safe to assume that Geralt of Rivia, the white wolf himself, will most likely be present to handle whatever this nightmare may end up being. Who knows? He could be the one having the nightmare, or maybe he is the nightmare. Uh, <laughs> dorks. Uh, this news follows Netflix's other announcement that The Witcher is tracking to be its most viewed first season ever, with 76 million member households um, streaming the new series through its first four weeks of release. Thank you for scrolling up for me. Mm-hmm. There is no release timing for The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf, and it is yet unclear if it will rely- arrive before or after the return of Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri in the season two of Netflix's The Witcher in 2021. My question, though, is Henry Cavill voicing Geralt in this anime, or are they bringing in new voice actors? Or are they bringing in the original yeah. voice actor? Doug? Yeah, I thought that, that I thought I saw a story about him doing something. Well, that would be cool. I'm sure he's doing something. He's a talented voice actor. No, I mean, with, I mean, <laughs> I, know. I mean, with the Witcher. She's being I'm just being sassy. She's sassy being sassy squirrel. So, Simon, you're very excited about this. Yeah, you're so excited that you're back flipping. You are. You got your confetti out. I you like got your anime. Out. I like The Witcher. I don't know why I wouldn't like this. I, you know, so a part of me wonders though. It's called the anime. It's called the anime, right? Hmm. I wonder, well, the IGN article is anime. I wonder if it actually is an anime anime or if it's more of just like a general animation, like a cartoon. If it's just animation. Right. I feel like people Versus throw that like, term around. Yeah, that's true. I mean, right. I would actually really love it if they had Geralt with like <laughs> it, traditional anime that's faces. That's what I was thinking, right? It would be adorable. I know. Oh and my it's, God. But it's so unfitting, I feel like, of The Witcher, which is very But Western. I would be, I actually kind of would be into it. I would be totally into it. I want it. Break the world. Just break it. Break everything. Break that immersion. Urgh. Make Geralt into have put a teardrop over his head. Give him little happy eyeballs. Make him sweat. Oh my god, he could see a girl and like drool or have, him, have the nose bleed. Oh, have the nose bleed. The yeah. nose bleed. Andrew is very confused. There's a lot of anime tropes. About One of them is bleed? if you're attracted someone very much, you just get a severe. You get a really bleed. bad nosebleed. I tweeted to Jackie that's Collins so about weird. this. I, she t- posted a photo of herself, and my <laughs> reply was a gif of someone with an insane. Nosebleed. I mean, that's what happened to me on the plane back from Europe. I was just so attracted to someone that my nose just burst into See, blood. That's what happens when you look at my pictures on airplanes? It's not I, what happened. I'm so confused. Damn. I just Why? got shut down was- <laughs> so hard. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I still love you. I know you love me. Uh, yeah, that would be great little like vein popping out on his head yes oh, god man. there's so many i just i love anime so much <laughs> so it's great uh okay what's up baby girl oh i mean i was just gonna read the next story yeah you go yeah, for yeah, it yeah. oh well We're okay then geeking out about anime no that's fine uh you know what live your best life love the things you love good advice for yeah. a lot of things in life but hopefully it doesn't cause you like hemorrhages with your noses um, <laughs> next story it's not good for you ninja <laughs> theory announces project mara so this write-up comes from xbox themselves from the newswire today we are announcing project mara our new in development experimental title that explores new ways of storytelling and we're excited to share the first details with you project mara will be a real world and grounded representation of mental terror based oh, on a real you. lived experience account and in-depth research, our aim is to recreate the horrors of the mind as accurately and realistically as possible. 
Project Mara will be an experimental title and showcase what could become a new storytelling medium. Since joining Xbox Game Studios in 2018, we've been hard at work on our upcoming multiplayer brawler, Bleeding Edge, our new recently announced innovative R&D project, The Insight Project, and of course, Senua's Saga Hellblade 2. These projects will continue to drive development goals for the next few years and will help shape Ninja Theory's vision for our future. You can follow the development journey of all of our new projects, including Senua Saga, the Insight Project, and Project Mara on their various social media profiles. Okay, this is me like inserting the video of the cat going, no, 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 no. Like, do not want. I think Senua is scary enough. I don't need some more bullshit that's gonna fuck with my head. It's already not a fun bag up here. I think some really <laughs> crazy okay. shit all the time. I don't need your help. Well, you know what's interesting? You say that. You don't need their help. Well, I think they actually are trying to help, right? That's the whole point of these initiatives, the Insight Project, and watching something on Project Mara. They want to help people overcome their mental illnesses through video games and hoping that they can teach people coping mechanisms and whatnot through the game that they can take into their everyday life. And watching Project Mara. So if you go to this Xbox.com actual press release, there's like a six-minute video on there where they kind of go over everything they're um, talking about here. Right. And the trailer for this, it's – very nerve-wracking i was listening to it earlier i don't know if you heard it yeah no i was listening to britney listen to it because i was doing some emails and i was like what are you watching oh, it was porn no because it's torture like porn very heavy breathing it's you know breathing 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 and then she says something i don't know what's real anymore or something and then you see this it's kind of like a blair witchy angle where it's kind of facing like up the nose a little bit mm, and she's yeah. obviously panicking yeah, good nosebleed action <laughs> No, this was not bleeding. I know. And then for a split second, she kind of turns her head, and then I had to rewind it and pause it, and then there's, like, a version of her that's all veiny and kind of zombie-looking, like. Huh. And so right up your alley. Right up my alley. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, but no, it's really fascinating. This to me doesn't... I mean, granted, I haven't watched this video, so right. maybe you know... You obviously know more than I do, but just the way they wrote it doesn't seem like it's trying to help anyone do anything right. except be scared and... I don't need help with that. Yeah, so we don't know a lot about Project Mara, but the other stuff we knew more about. Like, I'm but good, yeah. thanks. I'm pretty scared of most things in life. You don't need those things I'm good. in life. <laughs> oh, man. So I started Senua's uh, Hellblade mm-hmm. during my last... Senua's Sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my very relaxing vac- last vacation. I, I saw you try, and I was like, what the fuck is she doing? Well, You're I, like, this is a mistake. Well, I was looking for something like, you know, relax. I'm going to play something. and That is I, not a relaxed game. It looks good on the Switch. It does look good. And it plays fine. Obviously, obviously, after I played it, I was very stressed out. Like, this is not what I need on this vacation. And I do want to pick it up and play it again on Xbox One. I think it's on Game Pass, actually. Oh, of course yeah, it is. It might, yeah, 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 of course. Um, but no, I'm really interested in what Ninja Theory is doing. I think we were talking about this a little earlier. Bleeding Edge seems a little out of their, like, realm of whatever, but I think it's cool that they are trying it. We always say, try new things. Hey, I mean, it worked for Horizon Zero Dawn. See? There you go. Exactly. But no, it's, uh, it was a very intense game. I want to pick it back up. But maybe... I do do not think Project Mara will be... I think Senua is as as fucked up as I can get. That was messed up. I've never had a game make me feel that way before. Did you try with headphones yet? Oh, yeah, I wore it with headphones. I I wore it with headphones. I played it with headphones. headphones. Yeah. Because actually, you're like, eh. Nope. Too like, intense. But also, it's helpful. Yeah. Because, like, in battle, if you listen to them, then you, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm, tell you where mm-hmm. things are. Echolocation. You're like a bat. You have to be in the right mental state to play that game. Yeah. I think is what we're You have to be very trying to communicate here. Before yeah. you go in. And you know, you need to know what you're getting into. So, if you're looking for 
a very mentally disturbing experience, just watch the trailer. It's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Xbox.com, everybody. Um, and I think that's going to do it for the news this week, which is kind of amazing that we have a short news week because most of the time the news dominates the show, yeah. um, which is exciting because I have a game that I've been itching to talk about when itching. we come back. You should itching. get that checked out. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I'll just like run to the <laughs> we'll doctor between segments. Get some cream. Really some ointment. <laughs> get some cream for that itch. We'll be right back, everybody. good everybody welcome back it's segment two of the what's good games podcast of course this is where we talk about what we've been playing or any special events that we've gone to and i am super excited to talk about the game that i went to go see at a preview event last week before i get to that though i want to let you know that this segment is brought to you by riot games Yes, the one and only. You might be going, wait, that Riot Games? The one that's been announcing all of these different video games that they're making all over the place for the last couple of months? That's right. But let's be honest. We all know Riot Games for their big dog, League of Legends. It was interesting because I was just talking with Steimer about this when we shot our decade, our Games of the Decade episode. Um, we don't want to spoil that because that episode's coming in a couple of weeks. But I was saying I want to get back into League but that's not why we're here, to talk about my lack of league skills. <laughs> we're here to talk about um, the LCS because everything is just getting started. Of course, we do want to make a quick disclaimer. We've said it before. We'll say it again when Christine Seimer does work for Riot Games. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be hyped for what's happening with LCS. So, new year, new you, right? Maybe you're even asking yourself, what the heck is the LCS? So, it's North America's official League of Legends professional league lcs in fact stands for league championship series if you didn't know and of course the 2020 season kicks off saturday january 25th at 2 p.m pacific 5 p.m eastern on watch.lolesports.com and of course there's never been a better time to become an lcs fan so if you guys haven't been watching the lcs or maybe you used to watch when you were playing league a couple years back and you've kind of fallen off the wagon now is a great time to get back in if you are kind of confused a little bit about what's happening because Brittany was like, I don't really play MOBAs. Would I like this? They've really overhauled some of the casters and the color commentators that they have on the Riot streams so that even if you aren't really familiar with the champions and some of the play patterns, you can still follow the games. Like, for example, um, they have this caster whose name is Kobe, who's really good at kind of breaking down what the champions are and some of the play strategies. So if you've been out of the game for a while and you're like, I don't even know who the heck these champions are, there's definitely a caster I think that you guys will be able to kind of like uh, identify with or maybe you just are there for the hype you just want to clap your boomsticks together right you're like I just am here for the shouts did they take down the Baron is that still a thing they do then maybe Captain Flowers is your man because he's all about the hype machine so they have the new season starting and it's going to be exciting because the latest game update Rise of the Elements is introducing permanent map and buff changes for players to deal with so Brett my first thought was, is anyone going to take on the new champion set? Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. 
No, no one does that. No one plays the new championships nah. in professional nah. league because they usually ban the new championships from drafting. Let's just be clear. Um, but continuing on, we want to just remind you, the guys, that there's always a team for anyone to root for. Maybe you want to see a classic team win like TSM rise again. Or perhaps you want to join Team Liquid to see if they can secure yet another championship title. Or maybe you want to lean into your darker desires mm. with one of the newest team, Evil Geniuses. If you guys are ready for some league action, you're in luck because there's even more this season to enjoy with Monday Night League joining the schedule. I love that they're kind of modeling this after what's happening in professional sports, saying, you know what? It's not just about what happens on the weekends. We want to engage people during the week as well. So if you guys have been looking for even more league in your life, good news, Monday Night League is happening. (laughs) If you guys want to catch the games, there's lots of ways to do it. You can catch the games on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, Sundays at noon Pacific, and Monday Night League at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Did you guys get out your notepad? Listen again. (laughs) Saturdays, 2 p.m. Pacific, Sundays, noon Pacific, and Monday Night League at 5.30 p.m. Pacific on watch.lolesports.com, Twitch, or YouTube. That's watch.lolesports.com, twitch.tv slash lcs or youtube.com slash lol esports for saturday sunday and monday night action thanks so much lcs and listen if you didn't think you had enough league in your life just wait there's gonna be more let's talk about doom eternal so i was tweeting about this and i really had to kind of hold back because It's rare that we get to go to a preview event as people who've been covering this business for so many years and we walk away going, that was fucking amazing. There's a lot of games that we walk away going, that was cool. I can't wait to see Morrow. I enjoyed that. I'll play that when it comes out. But I think it's few and far between when we walk away from an event going, holy shit, that blew my mind. Can you remember the last game that either of you played that you walked away from a preview event going, oh my God, that blew my mind. Resident Evil 2. Okay, that's of fair. Of course. Very good. Um, I, I mean, that I played? No. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying, though, is that, like, there's, like, so few of them. Yeah. One of those games for me, Doom Eternal. And it was a surprise because I knew I was going to enjoy my time because I liked Doom 2016, mm. but it was so intense for me, and I got very overwhelmed that I never ended up actually finishing that game and, like, completing uh, the campaign. I remember you saying this. Yeah, yeah, it was a little too much for you. I had to play it in very short Burst. sessions. Yeah. Because I was like, this is just so overwhelming. And so when they told me that I was invited, and thank you again to Bethesda for having me down to the Doom Terminal event with um, id Software, that it was going to be three hours of hands-on time with Doom. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was great is that they dropped us in at the very beginning of the game, so we got to do the onboarding. You so, actually got to learn how to play exactly. the game. Yeah, because uh, when I played with you back at Judges Week last year, they think they just kind of dumped us. Yes, in the middle of the game. In the, the middle of the game, they were like, have fun. <laughs> we were like, but how do we do anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was because so Marty was there, and he was like oh we want you guys to play on medium difficulty and i started at medium difficulty and i instantly dropped it down to easy because it was just overwhelming without the onboarding yeah i managed to make it through on whatever normal was but they yeah it was like at first i was like holy crap i just died multiple times and then had to 
super focus my brain. And once I like hyper engaged, I was able to do it. But I was like, good Lord, <laughs> it's taking some mental capacity. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's a lot going on in that game. If, if you looked at it visually, you would think this is just a first person shooter. And Absolutely. You, and until you play it, you don't know how much it really is. It's like is a metal concert here. in your head. Yes, yeah. kind of. Yeah, so Doom 2016 was renowned for not only gameplay and fluidity and polish, but of course, this amazing atmosphere that they built, complete with this incredible soundtrack. All of that is back for Doom Eternal, but it's way better, more polished, and it's bigger. I mean, we're talking exponentially bigger, and the mechanics are more layered, and I can't wait for everybody to get their hands on this. So let me pull up my notes. And then I also have some game. I have a gameplay clip that I'm going to show. So if you guys are listening to the show, please take some time to come to youtube.com slash what's good games and see some of the gameplay that I'm showing. This is actually me playing the game. And normally I don't record myself doing shooters when I'm at a preview event because I'm like, I would rather use the gameplay that a dev has recorded or captured because you're going to be way better at the game than I'm ever going to be sitting down. But I had the opportunity to record myself, so I wanted to just show you guys. So let me cue up this gameplay while I'm talking here. So um, you guys can take a look, and so I can kind of speak to what's happening here. So uh, we had the opportunity to speak to Hugo Martin, who is from the id team, who is the creative director on Doom Eternal, um, after our play session. And so he answered a bunch of questions and Um, I have some really cool quotes here. So one of the things that I I really loved about my time here is that I started out on the medium difficulty, which is called Hurt Me Plenty. Oh, I like it. And I never... No, please don't. (laughs) I know, and I never felt compelled to drop the difficulty down. I felt like I had a good challenge, but I never felt overwhelmed because you know me, I'm always a fan of baby-ass baby mode. Of course. Um, And in Doom Eternal, it's called I'm Too Young to Die. (laughs) I think I used... like Those are definitely stuff I remember from OG Wolfenstein, too. Mm. Well, I feel like some of the Wolfenstein ones were a little bit more snarky when you got to the lighter difficulties almost making fun of you and so like, i like don't hurt me daddy yeah exactly yeah, it was like the baby exactly you actually bond it on so they have a ton of difficulty levels they have ultra violence nightmare ultra nightmare and extra life mode so <laughs> the ultra nightmare mode is permadeath so it's like when you're going through the campaign if you die you're you're done no, no <laughs> i mean i know some people are very into that not oh, one God, of those I people can't imagine. yeah so let me just kind of describe what's happening on screen here so obviously i'm jumping around quite a bit as you have you to know, keep moving. Uh-huh. Yeah. Doom is like a, it's not a cover shooter. You, no. There's no cover. You have to just move constantly because you have to always be picking up these power ups. And what I love what they've done is that they've really layered in strategy with doing so. So when you do a glory oh, kill, you're going to get health. When you do a flame belt, you're going to get shield regeneration. And so you really have to strategically go, when do I want to use which kind of attack on which enemy? knowing where you're at as you can see on screen i have low ammo and low health for a lot of the time and i just Mm -hmm. keep running it was so funny because there was this moment when i was in a boss fight uh well not quite a boss fight but like a mini boss fight i would say and hugo was kind of standing over his shoulder making me nervous and he was like dude i didn't think you were gonna make it out of there because i was running around with low health with like five health left forever and it's like 100 is like the health meter 
But I managed to keep moving and I found a, a random NPC, not an NPC, like a random like enemy. Like a lower level yeah, enemy. Exactly, yeah, exactly. That I could melee. Um, and you're like, and haha, I got your help. Okay, so now during all this, do you have some badass rock music playing in your... Yes, okay. of course. Okay, so good. I have the... I don't know if I'm going to put the volume on on this gameplay because it's a little intense. No. Um, but yes, imagine like this amazing metal soundtrack set to the back of this. And so there's a, a big diversity of enemies here. And there are some that are ranged, there are some that are melee. And what I really <laughs> like is that they really force you to use the tools and the mechanics to get good at the game. So when we were interviewing with Hugo, one of the things he said was, learning how to succeed is not the engaging part. It's mastering what you need to do. He also said that there is a right way to play Doom, but that will take the time to level up your skill set, that it's a combat puzzle to solve, which I thought was really interesting because there's not many games that force you to learn a variety of different types of combat in order to be proficient. A lot of games allow you to kind of pick your play style and then kind of settle in Mm -hmm. and don't really force you to try out the different mechanics that are built into the game. And that has its pros and minuses, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. What I love about this is that they are saying to you, hey, we're going to push you. It might be a little uncomfortable, but we're also going to do it in a way that's going to feel rewarding. And then you're going to feel like a badass once you've mastered. Oh, no, I'm in the lava. I'm in the lava. Don't fall in the lava. Right? But yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, that was one of the things that I... I did enjoy, I mean, found frustrating at first because, again, we were dropped into the middle of the game. But mm-hmm. um, what made it so engaging is the fact that you are constant. You're kind of just, like, always keeping track of what you need next. Like, okay, well, my ammo's a little low. Okay, I'll do that. There are other type of kills so that I can get that. But, you know, you're just constantly, like, trying to refill these meters and using all the different moves in your arsenal so that you can refill them. Um which sounds like eventually it would get easy, but it's not because there's everything shooting at you and you're just like, it's hyper stress. And like Andrea, if you are watching the gameplay right now, you are just, you're just running. You're just, yeah. you're just like, constantly running. Yes. Yeah. But there's a method to the madness here. And like, I'm trying to, to me, yeah, it looks like you're just running around in circles, shooting the first thing that pops up in front of you. Maybe that is your strategy. Oh, I mean, I can't speak to you, Andrea, but when I was playing, there was no strategy to the running. The running was just, you just running run to, anywhere to not you die. Can run. Yeah. And then it was like, the strategy is, what kind of kill do I need to do in order to refill whatever meter is low? Exactly. And it's also remembering like here where like the health pots are on the map or like we're remembering where like a, where an ammo pack is that you didn't pick up the first time. And what I really like what they've done with the level design in Doom Eternal as a kind of evolution of the level design in Doom 2016 is that the arenas feel a lot more varied. Mm. One of the biggest pieces of feedback that Hugo mentioned was that their fans said that Doom 2016 felt incredibly repetitive, that there was just a lot of the same enemies, a lot of the level design felt samey, and that while it was really good and the polish was there, it just felt like there wasn't enough diversity across the levels. That's not the case (laughs) with what I've played so far in Doom Eternal. It really felt like every different section of the game that I played had a unique identity while still remaining within the same aesthetic of hell and the demon landscape that you're in, but it still felt like it was varied enough that it felt interesting and different. And that's what I really like about what it has done so far with Doom Eternal. Um, One of the things that I thought was cool when we were talking with Hugo about the gameplay was that he said, we're cool with making you feel overwhelmed in the beginning because we think that, sorry, let me pull up my quote here. 
We're cool with making you feel overwhelmed in the gaming because we think that is part of the experience. He said, the bet that we are making is the style of play where we push you to leave the game feeling more fun and more. We push you will lead to the game feeling more fun and more engaging. And so I think what he's really trying to say there is they are intentionally making you feel a little stressed and a little panicked to force you to use the mechanics that you've learned and that by mastering those mechanics, you'll feel more powerful as you go throughout the game. And so there, of course, there's a progression system on screen. There's I'm showing now a little bit of the challenge system that's built into the game. So there's a variety of different challenges and things like that. And of course, there's a variety of of weapons that you can get and power ups and things like that that you can do for the for the Doom guy or the Slayer. And I, I like the Doom guy. Doom guy. Doom, Doom, Doom guy. guy. <laughs> Um, and the way that he kind of described it is they start you with like your white belt, if you want to think of it in karate terms, sure. right? Or martial arts. And that by the time you get to the third act of Doom Eternal, he said, you'll get close to having your black belt. And that's when the fun truly begins. <laughs> he said, our goal is not to make a hard game. What we want to make is a game that is giving you something to master. And we want to create something with a little bit of depth. And I think that that's really interesting because a lot of games strive for that, but very few games actually accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And I was very wary after Steimer and I played Doom Eternal for the first time at Judges Week last year before E3. Mm. Because I thought it was too overwhelming. I was like... That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, I felt pressured into playing it on easy because I was dying constantly. And nobody likes to die over and over again in a game. It just Mm -hmm. feels... It feels... You know, like discouraging. It just feels yeah. bad. I remember yeah. that in the it first sucks. Doom. It, it, it does not give me the happy feelings. Yeah. In the beginning of that game, I was so overwhelmed because I'm not great at shooters. I've talked about that a lot. And this game, you were surrounded by demons and it's intense. And I was just like flopping around like a magic carpet. It was not great. But I remember by the end of it, I was like, oh, yeah, look at me go. I'm such a badass. Oh, yeah, I got the music going. I'm slicing you in half. I'm punching you in the face, biting you in the ass. Yeah, and it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, in good the face, me in the ass. ass. Yeah, and I really <laughs> like that about the first Doom game. I think, you know, that is what a lot of games strive for. And I think the game that most recently that accomplished that was Horizon Zero Dawn for me. Yeah. Because we were talking about the combat. Oop, that's another episode. But, yeah, I remember that about Doom. When I feel like a badass playing a shooter, you've done something right. Yeah, I... I 100% agree. And what I think what's great about what it is doing with Doom Eternal is that in addition to expanding on the really slick, fluid first-person shooter mechanics that it is known for, they also are expanding on the lore and the narrative of the Doom universe because a lot of people are just like, ah, it's just like shooter fantasy. I don't really care about the narrative. But there's a a legion of Doom fans that are like, we just (laughs) need a little bit more. (laughs) Yes, a legion. Exactly. Um, And so um, Hugo told me that the Doom universe is mostly there to expand on the game for those fans and address a concern that Doom 2016, of course, again, got a little bit repetitive. And so in our group Q&A that we were having with Hugo at the event, you know, some people were like, so let's talk about the fact that this is obviously like a lot of gratuitous violence, but that's what Doom is known for. And I love that Hugo's like, listen, we're not trying to pretend like this is anything that what it is. We're actually going straight at it and reminding people this is a video game. We're leaning into the video game tropes. His quote that I wrote down was, it's a ridiculous presence with a sincere execution. That's actually a great quote. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I'm like, there is a campiness about Doom, right? Like, be, you get the rack, like, you get the I music mean, you're, going, you're the like, glory kill. Like, well, yeah, yeah, and so 
it is it's just kind of like mortal Kombat to me in a sense where you're just like well, this is just the over the topness mm-hmm. is part of its mm-hmm. uh identity really yeah absolutely but i actually don't think i mean it's gross sometimes but it's not there were some stuff in the not this past god of war but o- older god of wars mm-hmm. where i was like stick stick to my stomach i couldn't watch what was happening I'm, i've not felt that once about i mean you're like oh it's <laughs> all look at his eye gross like that's what uh-huh. i feel like when i watch doom versus oh like you know like oh like gross yeah if that it, makes yeah, sense no, I, no I'm I, with get you. It. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the and some of the amazing animation that netherrealm has done i think has made it more gross because they've made it look too real and that's the huge difference between mortal Kombat and doom is that doom is like these are all just demons they're all yeah. monsters they're fictional Whereas Mortal Kombat are, is like, this is a real body. This and is we're a human. Right. And like, you can kind of imagine you your spine apart. getting ripped out. And you're like, eh, maybe, maybe please don't. Exactly. But yeah, this, I mean, you, we all have eyes. So you get, even seeing the eyeball getting stabbed is like, oh, it's gross. <laughs> but it's also, yeah, it's a giant weird demon. Yeah. The like demon crying. is really the, right, is literally so. the name of one of the monsters in the game. What demon? The caca demon. <laughs> Sorry, and what? The caca demon. Say it again. The caca demon. <laughs> caca. You throw <laughs> grenades into his mouth, and then you can do a glory kill on him. Okay. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, that in the gameplay that was, that was fun. Good. That yeah, was good he's again. he's a little asshole. That guy um, but doesn't have one after you blow him up. <laughs> That's true. Uh, okay, fair. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I did want to make sure to talk to Hugo about when we were doing the interview was I said, hey, you know, last year there was a couple of games that kind of got into hot water, like air quotes, hot water. Um, internet debates were unfolding around this idea of difficulty around Mm -hmm. the game being purposely difficult for the sake of being difficult and what are like the benefits of that is that gatekeeping in specific ways and what why do games like that exist and is there a purpose and you know we're not going to get into that debate right now but I asked Hugo in that frame set like obviously Doom is a hard game and you guys offer these really crazy difficulties and you make the player use strategies and you've designed it in a very specific way are you concerned at all that you've now made your game inaccessible to certain players who are interested in getting into your game because they love it as a studio and he said that we're not trying to make a hard game we're trying to make an engaging experience but he also said we do have something to teach you and that's why in Doom Eternal, they have a more extensive tutorial system that's tailored for people that potentially aren't really proficient in first-person shooter games but are interested in playing. And that's why they have different difficulty settings. And they really made a concerted effort, he said, to tweak how they changed and ramped up the difficulty between each of those settings. He said it's different from the way that they did it in Doom 2016 because he thought that – well, not he specifically, but the team at id – thought that some of the ways that they ramped the difficulty between uh, the levels in Doom 2016 was too punishing and almost felt intentionally punishing for whatever reason. And so mm-hmm. they went back to the drawing board and said, why did we make those decisions? What decisions can we change to make this feel more rewarding for people at higher difficulties instead of making it feel punishing for people? And I thought that that was really smart of them to say, hey, you know, we want this game to be fun. At the end of it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they want to sell copies. And the best way to sell copies is to make it more accessible. Yeah. And what I loved about it is that somebody like me who plays a lot of FPS can go into a game like Doom and feel like I am capable of being good at it. Whereas I did not feel that way with Doom 2016. I felt huh. like that game was too 
difficult for my patience level to sit and learn and master it. But going through the tutorial, the first couple of levels in Doom Eternal, I was like, you know what? I'm really excited to play more of this game. But they haven't sacrificed any of that difficulty of or mastery of the higher levels for the players that want it and need it. And I think that's exactly what they needed to do. To satiate those people who are like, I want it to be punishing. I want it to smack me in the face and be like, bitch, is that all you got? <laughs> That's that's that a, that's a thing for people. That should be the name of one of the difficulties. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Bitch, you ready for more? You want more? Um, but also, it's like, hey, we still want people to not be afraid to pick this game up and play it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I really commend ID for striking that balance in what I have played. Um, and at the end of it all, like, they have just nailed everything from the sound design to the music choices to the level design to the combat design. All of it just feels like it's firing on all cylinders. And, like, in my mind, this is 100% a game of the year contender. Yeah. I think we're all quiet because we know. Yeah. I mean, it was good. I mean, it's my only thing. It was a really good demo. (laughs) That I wonder about with myself in this game is I feel like it'll probably go on too long for me. Uh, Oh, actually, yeah. I read something. I think double the length, a 20 hour game. I some article on Destructoid. Yeah, it's I, re- like it's I remember hearing something like that. 20 hours, and yeah, it's double the size of Doom 2016. And for me, I'm like, I know that everybody wants more. I don't, <laughs> I don't I want, want more. <laughs> I, want, I, I want a good edited a good experience. And that doesn't, that's not to say, I guess, that this won't be. I just, and but the fact that they've already talked about, like, they felt the first one was too repetitive, but then they're doubling the size of this one. Uh, makes me a little nervous, uh, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that they didn't succeed in their goal. So yeah, I'm, for context, I'm to see. double the size could have been maybe like the levels themselves, sure. where they, you can just run around more. Because yeah, I, I'm with pew, you. Pew 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 pew. So you found yourself playing this game for three hours and not needing to take a break. No, and I thought I was going to like normally when I'm um, playing a game or we're at um, an event. And the session is like three hours long. I'll like take periodic breaks to get up and get like a coffee or get a water or go to the bathroom. And at no point did I feel an urge to like put the controller down and go. It was like you, me playing the Sims where you're just like, what time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And like, I was actually really surprised by that because I was so engaged to keep going level to level. And I think that's because they did a really good job of pacing out the difficulty. And so it was like, it felt like, they set a challenge in front of you, but the challenge was not so punishing. It didn't feel insurmountable. Exactly. Mm. And like, like, I didn't oh. feel like I was dying over and over and over again at the same um, bosses. And I was playing it on like the, the medium difficulty yeah. and it felt like the pacing was right. And I imagine at some point, either midway through or at the end of the campaign, like the difficulty obviously will ramp at some point but then not more demons but But, you'll be good at that point right i think the idea is that they've now laid the groundwork for you with all of the mechanics that they've introduced (laughs) right to say like hey you have the tools use the tools to we believe in you padawan yeah yeah exactly (laughs) that's exciting i'm i'm happy to play these this is the kind of game though where i i do like to turn down the difficulty obviously it's a shooter that's what i do but i like to blow heads off saw things in half listen to that music it's just a good ego boost the doom games but I will try on medium difficulty, see how I do. But I just like to feel powerful in that game. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I mean, Doom is great for that. I mean, it is like a power violence fantasy. Oh yeah, like oh, that's yeah. what that's Doom is. Much is. <sighs> yeah. Um, 
just to clarify, I have not had any hands-on time with the um, multiplayer mode, the battle mode in Doom Eternal. Um, all of my impressions are strictly about the campaign. Um, but honestly, I don't even care about any other modes. <laughs> I only want to play the campaign. That's it. And I mean... I'm really glad that this game is coming out in just a couple of months. It looks really good. And it was interesting hearing Hugo talk about the delay because originally this game was supposed to launch in November with Stadia, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was supposed to be like the one big AAA launch that Stadia had and it was pushed to March. But it's good that they did that because now he's like, we're able to put the polish on the game that it requires of an id game. And the bar is high. We hear a lot about this this polish. <laughs> polish. We hear a lot about polish lately. We need a new word Gotta for polish. Put, put a little elbow grease into uh, elbow it. Elbow grease. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I trust in id's ability to polish. If all of the developers that work in the FPS space, they know what they're doing. And I think they also recognize that they've set the bar not only for themselves, but for their community. And that they don't want to release something that isn't befitting of the name id software. Word. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad that they delayed. Um, put the polish in that you need. What Butters. I played ran like butter. Mm, butter. Like warm, like warm, like melting warm butter. butter. Mm, like I sliced through that cacodemon like butter. Ooh, girl. <laughs> you know, butter is sometimes difficult to slice. <laughs> so you, you got to make sure it's melted. It's got to be room temperature. Room temperature butter. Yeah. No, but that's, that, that's why you, you slice on uh, it's fine. Listen, if you guys did not take the time, please go to youtube.com slash what's good games. Check out a little bit of the gameplay that I've posted. I know a lot of other people have posted as well. They only allowed us to post 15 minutes. I think my clip was around 11 or 12 minutes long. Um, but it the game looks fantastic. So um, enough about Doom Eternal. Um, I think that's going to probably be the bulk of our segment because, uh, Steimer, you've been watching something? I mostly, Reading yeah, something? I've been doing a lot of real life things slash I was hung over one life. day. <laughs> so I watched um, real for all season of two of Sex Education on Netflix. How is that? It is a fantastic show. Okay. If you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. It's all about teenagers in this town. Um, and the main character, his mother is like a sex therapist. And so she's always talking to him about sex and all these things. And like, she's super comfortable with it. And he is not, I would not be comfortable. It's it's just like, and all the casting is beautiful. Like all of these kids just really do feel like awkward teenagers. But so, um, the first season is all about that kid starting like his kind of his own sex clinic at school where he starts to like um solve kids problems that they're having because so holy like, shit everyone in the Dr. school is sexually active um kind of yeah <laughs> oh. uh, and then you know it's all about relationships and now we're, we're jumping in, into season two it's even more so and it's just it's just, what it's, the show is so good and it's so well written and it's so well acted and it is so gut-wrenching sometimes and it's also so funny because the gut-wrenching part is just you being like, oh, I feel, I've been here. And like, like awkwardness? I have, not even awkwardness, but just like the whole, I like you, but you, I don't know if you like me. And the uh, whole, the teenage, the, the teenage hmm. love triangles hmm. that happen sometimes where you're like, well, I really like Andrea, but I can't tell if Andrea really likes me. But Brittany's very much into me. So do I just go with Brittany? Because like Brittany is the one showing me interest. But like you do secretly like me, but you will not tell me. <sighs> and so it's just, it's just shit like that where you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like it's so frustrating but also so fun to watch at the same time it's a very bingeable show um and this is a netflix great. exclusive it is netflix right? yeah they've produced it interesting because i just saw a story saying that they were going to spend over 17 billion dollars on content in 2020 oh Dude. damn i'm also excited i haven't watched it yet but there's another season of grace and frankie
Frankie, which is also one of my favorite Netflix shows. And I am so excited. That's just Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, I aspire to be Lily Tomlin's character, Frankie, when I get old, minus the pot that she smokes. She smokes a lot of pot. I don't need to do that. But otherwise, she's wackadoodle crazy, and I love her. You want to be wackadoodle crazy? I already am. I was going to say, I got the news for you, I'm on the trajectory. (laughs) I am going to make it, I think. You're going to be great. I'm going to just yell. I can't. I kind of can't wait to get old and, like, even crotchetier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be... I like it. Just be like, yeah. you know what? I don't give a fuck about what you're saying. It's like, like, like people's faces because I'm married to Mirror in real life. And, and when you're older, people kind of just give you a pass anyway. Exactly. I actually, I think Grace and Frankie is also a beautifully written show because it, it touches on a lot of points that you really don't think about. I think season one has a lot of it where it's like season one and two, especially of um, being an older woman and what that means and how you feel invisible and like people don't pay attention to you and i think i can't remember if they do just steal it they like steal something because they're like you don't fucking see me anyway like <laughs> just like steal some they gun just become shoplifters no not for, it was just like this one part in the grocery store uh i can't remember if they actually take it but it's basically like should i just like they won't notice me no anyway. one's noticing me so i may as well just <laughs> take Grace this fucking Frankie. thing and go just no surprise i've never heard of that show oh, it's but so good you tend to have good taste in things yeah and a lot of these shows, I mean, they they do they make me cry, but they mostly make me laugh. They mm. have a nice range of emotions while watching them. Good. Yeah. yeah, I've heard good things about both shows. I think I've only seen like a half an episode of Grace and Frankie because oh, so I wanted to get into it and then I got distracted and then I just never went back to it. But girls, yeah. take your ADD medication and sit down and watch okay. because it's good. The first season is really so. If you have no idea what Grace and Frankie is, I should probably give you at least the general premise. <laughs> um, so Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda's characters are two women uh, married to two men at the very beginning of the show, and they kind of hate each other. Like they just, you know, uh, Frankie is Lily Tomlin's character. She's very much a hippy dippy, like free spirit. Let's stage the house, that kind of thing. And Jane Fonda's character is very uptight, very business, very prim, proper. Their husbands are partners in a law firm together. One day they go to dinner. This is the very first episode, so I'm not spoiling a lot. And they say that they are both leaving their wives for each other. They have been having a gay affair for a very long time. And now that they are like in their 60s, 70s, I guess 60s, Mm -hmm. um, they want to be free and like, just live the life that they have always sure. were too scared to live. So then it's like it kind of goes into all of that, that. element and then mm-hmm. also the feeling of like abandonment and confusion that the women have. Mm-hmm. And that sounds horrible. And, but they the way that they tackle it is um, it can be very funny at times and like uplifting and a little bit light. And then they also do kind of dive into like, oh, shit, these are some like real feelings. And mm-hmm. it's a really fucked up situation for on like for a lot of people and. Uh, how they all deal with it is very different. And then the show kind of moves on from it after season one. Like that's not at this point, I think it's five or six the season now. I don't remember wow. which. Um, so at this point, like that's kind of long gone. Like they're, you know, they, they resolve that issue and then they go into other things, but the characters are just so great. Hmm. I love these shows. Yeah. These, so these are two of, two of my favorite. Summer's shows. Netflix corner. I'll do books and <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> Listen, I've you know? always wanted to do more on other kinds of media. Obviously, you guys come to What's Good Games for video game content, but yeah. we all, as human beings, enjoy a variety of media. Yes. So, and judgy. like right now, you know, it's a little light on the games front. So I've been enjoying other things and uh-huh, uh-huh, still uh-huh. reading The Wise Man's Fear, and I actually like it a lot. Yay! So I'm excited to keep reading that. 
Oh, now I need to reread it, and then we can like do like a segment on it. We'll be, be like, like a we'll book have, club. We'll have our wine. We'll both wear glasses. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll talk about cute. It'll be great. We'll be like, yes. We can have like a candle lit. Have the cats oh up here. Yeah, with, with good scarves. Books. I'm into it. Um, and Brittany, you mm-hmm. started playing something, but aren't quite ready to dive into hands-on impressions yet. But you. I yeah. started playing a game that I wanted to start last year, Greedfall. So Greedfall. So I'm actually, I've been playing for like 15 hours. But the problem is, is that I've done nothing but side quests. So oh. I recently looked at the main story list. IGN has like a um, chapter index of them. And I was like, okay, how far am I in the game? Oh, I'm like three in. So I'm very, <laughs> very early. You're like, oh, I should probably none of the main quests. Yeah, I should probably start doing the thing. So this is a game that. Are you going to be super OP then? Yeah, probably. This is what I did in Horizon, for example. Mm. Like, they're, okay, recommended level 10. I was, like, 26. It was not, I mean, it was great. I loved it. I felt, like, a very strong badass. So this game is developed by Spiders and published by Focus Home Interactive. Developed by Spiders? That's terrifying. Like, it's Spiders. (laughs) Uh, Published September 10th, 2019 on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. So I'm looking at what Spiders has done in the past. Yeah, so this game really went under the radar. And there's been a couple of people that have reached out to us to ask if we were thinking about playing it or Mm -hmm. trying it. Because I read an article, I think maybe it was on Kotaku, that was comparing this to the Bioware RPG they've always wanted but was way more than they actually wanted. So I, I think what they were trying to say is it's a lot of the tropes that you see in a traditional Bioware uh-huh. RPG, but like they're all like mashed together in a way that kind of is a little overwhelming. Yeah, and it's not incredibly... So yeah, I mean, the idea is is that, and this is my brief understanding of it, is that you are... You can play as a man or a woman. You can create your character and you are leaving your home island. And again, I'm not going to get all the technical terms right because I'm not super into it yet. But you leave your home island area because there's something called the Malachor, which is making all of your people sick and killing them. And your mom's affected and it's all bad. So you're going to this island that has recently been inhabited by there's three factions. There's the Bridge Alliance. Teleme, and then you guys who are kind of like the neutral parties and you are a legate. So you are the one who's trying to make sure everyone is getting along and You're being like Switzerland hey, like you are Switzerland I'm Swiss I'm you, neutral exactly and that's your job and you are going to this island and but the problem is there are natives that have been living there for a while so everyone's kind of like okay how do we how do we deal with this like how do we make sure we have a civil relationship with one another how can we help each other out and that's kind of at the part where I am so a lot of the side quests I've been doing has been like okay like these people aren't getting along go fix it or go do this and figure out why these people are being killed and everyone has their reasons and then it's up to you to figure out how you want to solve those issues. So what kind of time period are we in? Is this like a fantasy game? Is it like current day? Like It's fantasy style. It's kind of medieval, but everyone wears like hats and like sailor garb kind of. Th- I don't know what that fantasy is. Maybe steampunky? Maybe not. No, not steampunky. Like is there electricity? Yes. Are there guns? Yes. Yes, and there are melee okay. weapons. So it's guns and melee? Guns and melee, and you're wearing, like, medieval garb, and but you, you don't... And actually, there is, you know, um, like, chain mail and helmets like that that you would wear. But traditional fantasy. Traditional fantasy, but you also wear, like, regular, like, sailor hats, for example. Hmm. I haven't quite got the grasp Always on it yet. to be a jolly old sailor. <laughs> now you can be in beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> in chain you know, mail. It's great hats, for when you're on the open bust. season, you accidentally fall overboard. Oh, wait, no. Oh, it's wait, not. that's how you die. <laughs> you go down to the bottom of the ocean and sniff it and then you die and it's not good sniff don't sniff the bottom <laughs> of the ocean uh, yeah so you, you you are day started and then you start out with your dude who's been raising you from the beginning not raising you helping you get good at armor or armor, armor fighting like steel 
Her name is Kurt. He's been on training you and your cousin because you have a cousin named Constantine who was kind of like a silly guy. Again, that goes too far into the story. Um, oh, Constantine, you're so silly. Constantine, yeah. And I just want to say the acting is so good. I think all the dialogue I see is so well written, and the actors do a phenomenal job at it. The story lore is great. The problem, I think, is kind of in the execution of the game itself. There are a lot of instances where I'll be having conversations with NPCs or characters and they refer to my character as a him when it's obviously not. I'm a woman, right? And so mm, they're like, what okay. is he doing here? And that's happened probably a dozen times in the time I have been playing the game. Not a yeah, terrible just thing. Like, you're just, that's you, like a quality, just that's a quality control problem, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a quality mm-hmm. control problem. And sometimes like the lip syncing is just a little off. So I get where people are saying the Bioware game, right? Because it does kind of have some of those Dragon Age origin vibes. I don't want to say that too heavily because I feel like that's kind of setting it up for failure because I feel like Dragon Age Origins is a masterpiece and to compare anything to it, that's not even remotely close to that. Yeah. Not good. But it is a lot of fun. I do need to get back on the main trail because I am, it's kind of has the thing in Inquisition where you have all the little sandboxy areas, all the different areas of um, this con- this continent you're on, this new island, but they all look very similar. So that's kind of a downfall where like in Inquisition, for example, they all look very different. These all look kind of the same, kind of treesy, kind of We all know how dirt. you feel about trees. There's rocks, there's cliffs, and you explore these areas, and they're relatively large. And on there, you know, you can uncover campsites where you can camp, craft is there, armor. Is there, so there's a crafting system? There's a crafting system. The, the As in-depth as I've got is you can slot things into your armor to give you buffs, like lock picking yeah, and whatnot. Sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm still, like, you know, dipping my toes in it. But I will say it is a good time. It is a lot of fun right now with a lot of these big games getting delayed. If you're looking for something kind of hearty to mm-hmm. sink your teeth into, it is a fun throwback. And like I said, the story is great. The characters are incredibly well-written. There is romance. Mm. Oh. I want to hear more once you've played more because I want to know about the progression, like how you develop your character, what kind of skills you're working with. So I can actually talk about that a bit. So when okay. you do level up, every few levels you get different points. So you have, I don't have it in front of me, but you have your main tree where you can increase the damage you do with one-handed by 10%. Or you right. can be a mage or you can do two-handed. So you, there's that tree. And then there's the tree of... Like the combat tree. Yeah, the combat tree. And then there's the tree of your charisma, of your lockpicking, of your science. So your skills. So yeah. your skills, the things that open up different dialogue, you pass checks and stuff in conversation. Sure. yeah. And then there's like agility and other things that help you Like do... your health tree, essentially. Kind of. It's more... No, I wouldn't say that. Health slash stamina? No, it's more... Um, I'm trying to I'm kind of draw a blank here, but it's more of like agility, what makes you do... And it lets you wield more. Okay, it's like strength and agility on the same tree. So that lets you wield two-handed weapons more efficiently or lets you have certain weapons in your arsenal, right? So there is a lot of character customization. And I do have four new party members now, and they're all pretty... party members? Yeah, so the other thing, you you can have two party members with you at a time. You run around the world. Sometimes there is banter, not as much as I would like to see. It's not like Dragon Age style. Again, I keep comparing it, but... What about comparing it to something like The Outer Worlds? Um, from a party companion kind of standpoint. Yeah, the outer world still does it better. I mean, obviously. Obviously, but <laughs> what I mean obsidian. by that. Yeah. But what I mean is, you know, there there are instances where I wish there was more in-depth with the characters. Because right. during those moments, and there are like personal quests that the characters need you to do if you want to increase your relationship with them. Um, but, you know, there, there are moments where you would wish there was more banter. And it's just little things like that. I feel like they we're 75% of the way there. And I still have more to play. But if there would have been a little bit more effort, this could have instantly been an insta-classic. Yeah, because all of the gameplay in the demos that I've watched online, because I had some people reach out to me and be like, hey, have you played a demo of this? I go, no. In fact, 
I have not heard from their PR team once during the entire like lead up to Greed Falls mm-hmm. release and even post release. I've I I don't even know anybody on that team and. So I thought about buying the game just to try it out because so many people have said, you know, to, to take a look. And the all of the animations and stuff I saw looked really good. It seems like it's on the track to wanting to be a really cool, like, kind of action RPG. Mm-hmm. But they maybe were underfunded in some key categories. But instead of maybe editing out some features, they were like, we're just going to do it and it's just going to be kind of there and not be really compelling and that's kind of a bummer mm-hmm. i almost wish they would have maybe focused their scope a little bit and said hey instead of us f- having companions maybe we cut companions and focus that budget on more voice acting or more writing so we can make the interactions with your primary character and the npcs more meaningful yeah in this case i would say the companions really help make the game great i think what they could have probably cut back are all the different locations that you can go to that look relatively the same sure there are some side quests Mm, and it's good for story building but not totally necessary again like this is a fun game i'm having an awesome time with it but you know when you see something that's so close to just completely nailing the mark and this is kind of part of the problem doing what we do it's hard to just sit back and play a game and not kind of look at it through that critical eye but uh, so far, so good. I'm definitely excited to play more of it. I'm still trucking along in Kakarot to you. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's a good sign if you want to keep playing after 15 hours. Because yeah. I think that's a good barometer for an RPG. Obviously, like a lot of the best big RPGs, you have to hit like hour 20, 25 before you feel like you're actually mm. playing the game. But if this is a title that you know nothing about, it's a brand new IP, it's a developer you don't know, and you've made it 15 hours in and you're like, I want to play more, I think that's a great sign. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good game. It's a great game. It's just sad that it didn't get the spotlight. And if it wasn't for people in our community, I would never have played it. I didn't even hear about it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the tragedy of having a very saturated game market, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they can do like a, I mean, now would be the time to spin up <laughs> yep. some marketing I don't know who's in charge of it on that team over there, but be like, yo, we've heard all these games are delayed. You know what's here to play right now? Greedfall. This, this yeah. game you forgot to play last and year. And here's a new patch incoming, and here's some cool things we've added. That would be great. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Well, I still want to check it out. I still have some other things in my backlog. In fact, I'm playing a game that I can't talk about this week, but I'm beyond excited to Oh, we're both playing this game. Next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. excited, too. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But next week, everybody. Um, and that's going to do it for this episode of What's Good Games. Thank you so much for hanging out. As always, if you guys have not subscribed to us at youtube.com slash what's good games, please, that helps us out. Also, go and check out my Doom gameplay. We've got a lot of other cool playlists and stuff for you to check out there as well. If you would like to support the show in another way, maybe you want to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Or, of course, you can always join our memberships at patreon.com slash what's good games we will be back next week with another episode but for now have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you guys next time 